Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 178, The Loss. Welcome in to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we like to analyze and pick apart a single episode of Star Trek to see if it stands the test of time and to pick apart the morals, meanings, and messages buried therein. Well, each week we liked to. I, I can't believe it, but we've reached the end of our mission, the final episode of Mission Log. It's, it's amazing to me how many years. They just seem to go like that, man. Okay, all right, time out, time out, time out. We, we can't do that joke again. We just, we just, we can't, we, two weeks in a row, now the third week, it, it doesn't even work for the title of today's episode. Oh, it doesn't. Well, well no, today it's, it's the loss. Yeah, it's today. So, so, yeah. so what you're telling me is you're not going to feel the loss when all of this is over. Is that it? No, 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 not at all, not at all. <laughs> Fine. The loss. I, 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 I see how you are. No, 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 really. Don't apologize. Because <laughs> I sense there might be one coming eventually. Uh, in a moment, John is going to do trivia. And, uh, and, and by the way, we have agreed we're going to bury that, at least until the next time. It seems like it might be funny. There were a few listeners who actually were worried. Really? They heard, yeah, they heard oh. the last two. So no, but, but jokes come in threes. <laughs> this is the third, so it's the end. <laughs> Just like all the other jokes we retired after three instances, like uh, Kolchak <laughs> and uh, Moonlighting. Booby Trap. And uh, Booby Trap. Wait, yeah. Booby Trap? Yeah, Booby Trap. We yeah. did that one. I got to tell you a story about that off mic. First, though, what I got to do is actually tell <laughs> uh, everybody how to get in touch with us so that then you can do trivia so I can do the recap and we can do a show. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can. We would, in fact, love that. Our phone number is 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including, oh, discovered documents and pictures and a place for comments and all kinds of stuff, is missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember... We may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. All right. Trivia for today's episode, The Loss. The story is credited to Hillary J. Bader. Hillary had great success working as a writer for animation, actually nominated for Daytime Emmys seven times and winning twice for her work on Batman Beyond and the new Batman Superman adventures. But aside from that, she was a Star Trek fan working as an intern in the Next Gen production office. We've heard how that goes before. And this was her first contribution to the series. She has one more story coming up for Star Trek The Next Generation, and she went on to pen stories for Deep Space Nine and Voyager. We lost her too young at the age of 50 in 2002. Now, the teleplay was credited to Hillary J. Bader, along with Alan J. Adler and Vanessa Green. Now, Alan has a fascinating career. He's kind of the ultimate movie fan slash movie nerd, a massive collector of memorabilia. He started out by working as an assistant uh, in, you know, assistant roles on B-movies in the early 70s. And he also started exhibiting his collection, stuff that he'd accumulated in the 60s and 70s. He eventually parlayed that into the role of archivist, for 20th Century Fox. He actually created that position for himself, the archivist of 20th Century Fox. And um, he just has a handful of writing credits, and this is his only Star Trek contribution. Uh, 
And uh, Vanessa Green, who I mentioned, started her producing career very young, doing her first primetime movie at the age of 25. This episode of Next Gen is her only writing credit, but as a producer, she has held many TV productions and even was the in-house executive producer for CBS for a couple of years, helming things like TV movies and specials. Now, the idea for this story had actually been kicked around for quite a while, um, like since the beginning, since season one. Everyone thought it would be interesting to see Deanna lose her powers and where that story would go. So Michael Piller is one who sort of resurrected that idea and pushed it into this. It was directed by Chip Chalmers, and we've mentioned Chip before. He started out as a first assistant director in season three and then got his first Star Trek directing gig with Captain's Holiday. Now, let's talk about guest stars. Sitting at the con is Ensign Allenby, uh, a character who did appear in last week's episode, but she has lines this time, so we'll give her a closer look. The actress is Mary Conert, who had just a handful of TV credits, but Next Generation is actually the end of her professional acting credits. And uh, a few more credits to her name. English-born Kim Braden plays Ensign Janet Brooks. She bounced around TV and had appeared on Alien Nation just before this role in Star Trek. She was also in Murder, She Wrote, the new Perry Mason in the 90s. And she will make one more Star Trek appearance in a few years under a very different context. And that also will be her last professional acting credit. For Counselor Troy, and for the Enterprise, there is nothing there. And that nothing, is holding both of them back. Let us see if Ken can explain. Prologue. Counselor Troy is counseling Ensign Janet Brooks. Janet's fine since her husband died five months ago, just fine. Nope, no troubles at all. See how fine I'm doing? Needless to say, she's not fine, and Deanna makes her see that. Good news, though. She has something that belonged to Janet's husband that should help her start to work through the pain. On the bridge, Worf and Data see... Oh, no, wait, no, they don't. Oh, wait, yes, they do. Huh. Something keeps appearing and disappearing. There one second, gone the next. It may be a sensor glitch, though Worf thinks there is something there. They'll investigate both possibilities. Alone in her quarters, Deanna is getting hit with a serious headache. At the same time as the disappearing, reappearing what's-it... She collapses in pain as we go to the opening credits. Act 1. Well, sensors are fine, so it wasn't a glitch, but there's no sign of whatever it was, either. Okay, warp factor whatever to wherever they were going. Soon as they punch it, though, the whole ship shimmies. It's like they've hit something. Minor injuries reported, but no damage. Picard has ordered all stop, but the ship starts moving again, as if it's being pulled. In her quarters, Troy's headache has gotten so bad, so debilitating, that she calls for Dr. Crusher. But Dr. Crusher is dealing with all those minor injuries, so Deanna will have to wait. On the bridge, they determine that whatever's pulling the ship is doing so slowly. One-tenth impulse. Jordy says engines appear fine if they want to try to pull away. And they do. Want to. But they can't. One-quarter impulse, one-half impulse, full impulse. There's no getting away. In fact, whatever is holding them is holding so tight the ship will break up if they don't kill engines. So they do. 
Dr. Crusher finally gets to Troy. She says she feels better now. Crusher says she'd like to take Troy to sickbay for tests, but Riker calls senior staff for a meeting. Troy says she's up to it, though there's obviously something wrong. Still, she soldiers on. Right up until the part of the meeting where she realizes she can't read anyone. Not outside the ship, not inside the ship. Her betazoid empathic abilities are gone. Act 2. The good news, Troy has not hit her head. The bad news, she has brain damage anyway. She'll be fine, though. The only part of her brain that's affected is the part that gives her her telepathic ability. Crusher's not sure she can treat it. She'll have to do some reading. Deanna says the betazoid brain has a remarkable ability to heal itself, though Crusher reminds her that her brain is only half betazoid. Look, though, don't worry about it. It's no worse than a regular human going blind or something. Deanna gets snippy. She understands the psychology. And it starts to look like Deanna's not going to be great at dealing with this. As further proof, Will stops by Deanna's quarters and has his head bitten off. She's seen it happen with patients, an event in their lives, and suddenly everyone walks on eggshells around them. She'll not be treated that way. And now, if you'll leave... Leave now! In engineering, Geordi and Data have found evidence of what's dragging the Enterprise. It looks like it is a they. No clue what they are, though. Janet Brooks is back the next day to see Deanna. She says she woke up a new woman today, not holding anything back. She's had a good cry. She's accepted the death of her husband. She feels great. Look, says Deanna, you need to know two things. First, I've lost my empathic abilities. And second, one good cry is not going to make you okay. Janet says Deanna is wrong. And having no empathic ability, no ability to read Janet, Deanna seems willing to believe she is wrong. Looking into what's holding the Enterprise, Data's figured out whatever they are, they're two-dimensional. Length and width, but no height. Also, they're alive. As for how these 2D things are dragging a 3D Enterprise, Geordi figures the ship is just sort of caught in their wake. He's got an idea. They'll jump straight to Warp 6. In a 3D world, that should do the trick, but whether it'll free them from 2D things remains to be seen. He wishes aloud that they could tell whether the things were sentient. I wish that Deanna takes personally. She's doing the best she can. Captain Picard tries to calm her, though the second the meeting is over, she heads to Dr. Crusher. I am freaking out. I can't do my job. What can you do to help me? Crusher says her scans are inconclusive, so nothing right now. But she's working on it. She tells Deanna that should the damage be permanent, she'll get used to it. Like everything else, this upsets Deanna. How can you say I'll get used to it? Beverly asks if their situations were reversed, what would Deanna tell Beverly? Deanna says if their situations were reversed, she'd have gotten to her when she first called, rather than treating skinned elbows all over the ship. Ouch. Act 3. Counselor Troy is talking to Captain Picard. I've got this one patient, Janet Brooks. She's been pretending she's fine, but she's not. And I think that's what I've been doing, too. So, I quit. Picard argues. I've been lucky that you're an empath, but most ship's counselors aren't. It's not a requirement. Deanna argues that it is for her. She cannot do her job. Picard tries again, but Deanna won't hear it. Spare me the inspirational anecdote and just accept my resignation. Riker decides to give it another go, though he takes a decidedly different tack. He doesn't talk to Deanna. He's just there. With her. For her. 
and she breaks down. You freak me out. All of you freak me out. Your projections, images with no depth, hollow. Riker thinks he's hit on something. They're on equal footing now. She doesn't have the control she's used to. He says he always thought there was something too aristocratic about her betazoid nature, that her human half wasn't good enough for her. She starts to argue, but that's cut short when Jordy chimes in. They're ready to try to break free. Riker says he'll check on Deanna later. She says he doesn't need to, but he says he will. The attempt to break free does not work, though it does nearly destroy the Enterprise. It also causes a brief disturbance among the things dragging the Enterprise. Picard tells Data to put that into the Universal Translator. Maybe the momentary whatever was an attempt at communication. And maybe they can talk back. In 10 forward, Troy is enjoying a cup of tea. Well, she's having a cup of tea, anyway. Guinan starts talking to Troy about her job. Like Guinan taking Troy's job. She won't be there, so why not? It's obvious to Troy what Guinan is doing. She doesn't really want to be ship's counselor. Well, how did Troy know that without her empathic abilities? On the bridge, bad news. Data has spotted a cosmic string fragment. No wider than a proton, but with the gravitational pull of a black hole. And guess what the 2D creatures are headed straight toward? With the Enterprise in tow. Act 4. Seven hours until contact with the cosmic string. Doesn't look like the things carrying the Enterprise have any idea how destructive that will be for them. Worf suggests firing photon torpedoes at the 2D beings. Picard would rather not kill them, though. Data points out that since they exist on another dimensional plane, it may not affect them at all. Geordi has the best idea. Fire in front of them instead of at them. Geordi gets Humanitarian of the Year, but no change from the 2D things. Picard orders Worf to fire at the things. He avoids Genocidal Maniac of the Year because there's still no effect. In her quarters, Deanna is packing her things when there's a ring at the door. It's Janet Brooks. Ah, Deanna forgot to cancel her appointment. Yeah, listen, I'm quitting. You see, in our last appointment, it was obvious that I was no help. I couldn't read you. But Ensign Brooks says, yeah, you could. You were right. I wasn't fine after one good cry. I was doing exactly what I'd been doing before, trying to hide from the pain. You made me see that. Even if you couldn't sense what I was feeling, you helped. Sometime later, not much time, but some, Counselor Troy has been summoned to Captain Picard's ready room. Stuff's getting real. They're still being dragged toward the cosmic string fragment and will be dead in five hours. No, Deanna can't reach out to them telepathically, but she's got all this other training. If there is a psychology to the 2D creatures, Deanna is the best one to figure it out and, fingers crossed, figure out a way to communicate with them as well. She tries to argue, but the captain says, they need her. Act 5. We're down to one hour. If nothing changes, the Enterprise will be torn apart by the cosmic string in one hour. Data and Troy are trying to figure the creatures out. Data says, while they are alive, there's no sign of intelligence among them. Deanna says she feels about as together as those things out there. In the universe, but not of it. Just trying to survive on instinct. Hey, what if those things are acting instinctively? There are inherent drives in every species, what they need, what they fear. They need to figure these things out about those things. They know only two things. That the time the Enterprise tried to break away seemed to get the attention of the 2D beings for a moment, 
and that they're being drawn to the cosmic string by its gravitational pull. But wait, they don't actually know that second one. Deanna points out that moths are drawn to a flame. Maybe these things are being pulled to the string not by gravity, but by instinct. And now they have a plan. Project something like the cosmic string behind the 2D beings. Echo the string's vibrations. This might confuse the beings long enough for the Enterprise to break out. It's dicey, but, of course, it works. Deanna says, it's all right. They're home. The cosmic string was the one place in the galaxy the 2D beings wanted to be. And, oh yeah, she's got her empathic abilities back. In 10 Forward, Troy figures it wasn't that the beings had taken away her abilities. Rather, her abilities were overloaded by the heightened emotions coming off the 2D things. Beverly accepts Troy's apology. Troy thanks Guinan and Will for their help. She says she's accepted her human half. You know, now that she has her Betazoid half back. The end. Very well done, Ken. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I, I don't want to um, to tip my hand here yeah. at, at the beginning of the show, essentially. Yeah. Um, I'm glad this was your recap. Really? Yeah. I'm glad it was my recap, too, honestly. Good. Yeah. Okay. I had, I, had a, I, had a, I had a better time with it than I thought I would the first time I saw it, as far as uh, okay. writing the recap and all that stuff, but we'll get more into that stuff later. I have to tell you something funny. Um, this is a little behind the scenes on how we make the show. I, I have this iPad, and I put a whole season worth of Next Gen on there, so I have it with me everywhere I go, and I can just you know watch an episode to get caught up. And for mm-hmm. some reason, there was something messed up when I did the last transfer at the beginning of season four, and every episode that I would load, it would load the loss. <laughs> so it's it just and, – and I remember – Well, no wonder we, you we dreaded were, it. Right, right. Okay. So we, we, I think it was specifically Remember Me because the, the others I had watched on Netflix or oh, something. Right. But as I was getting to Remember Me, I was like, what is this? I don't remember it being like this. And it, it's. I thought it was a Crusher episode, but no, this is all Deanna all the time. What is this? Yeah. And just no matter what I would launch, it was the loss. That's so kind of that's kinda funny. Special, yeah, special place in my heart now for this episode. Um, <laughs> I, I, but, note, I note you didn't say a special fondness. No, place. <laughs> I said place. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, there's a line that I found kind of funny when Worf says uh, about the, the two-dimensional entity that they don't know is two-dimensional yet. I'm not convinced it is a ghost, which I thought was a really weird phrase to use because he's not convinced that it's something that can't be measured that has no properties and isn't known to exist. So – as if he's assuming that they are convinced that it is a thing that can't be measured and has no properties. Yeah. It was kind of a fun turn of phrase. You know, I wonder, it, there's an interesting thing actually that happens in that scene, I believe, when mm-hmm. the, uh, the Data says, you know, at warp whatever, warp six, I think, it'll take this long and this many minutes to get someplace. Yeah. And Riker says, what, no oh, seconds? Right. And, yeah. and Data's like, yeah, I, I find that really upsets people. And the only reason I bring that up right now is because... Um, I don't think Spock would have let them leave. Mm, we we mm. always sort of say that Data is sort of the Spock of next gen, kind of. I right, mean, a right. little bit different, but some similarities. So so here's what happened. They're, they're, they're going along, right? And they see something, but wait, no, they don't see something. But mm-hmm. everybody's pretty sure they did, but they didn't. So let's mm-hmm. run a systems check on the sensors, and the sensors are all fine. I'm pretty sure Spock wouldn't be like, well, that was weird. Let's keep going. <laughs> Spock would probably be like, you know... It seems like it's so something now has happened and we got no clue what it was. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. Well, let's right. maybe we just <laughs> put up some cones to make sure nobody goes over that pothole, and yeah, we'll just keep exactly. moving then, I guess. Keep it's kind going of, along. Yeah. Spock probably would have argued, Kirk would have said, you're being dumb. Then they would have had the shimmy, and then, you know, the episode would have gone on the way it was. But it's just kind of interesting. Yeah. Data's actually sort of been like kowtowed in a way. Right, mm, he doesn't. Mm-hmm, he doesn't mm-hmm. give the seconds. He's not going to do the whole. Eh, this could really be a thing. Yeah. Nah. If it's a thing, well, we'll run into it like a brick wall, and then we'll deal with it. <laughs> Data's learning. Data. Data wants to please. That's that's, so, that's true. You know, unlike Spock, who just doesn't care. That's true. Um, so here it is. It's the 24th century, and and we still don't know how to deal with grief. Mm-hmm. Now, remember. Um, I mentioned uh, in The Bonding mm-hmm. that Gene Roddenberry didn't want to uh, – he didn't really know what to make of it when the, the kid's parents died because he was like, oh, death is just a thing we accepted as a part of life even though this kid is like 11, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Oh, no, he, he'll be fine. Um, here it seems a bit more realistic that, that we do actually have somebody who has had a loss visiting Counselor Troy to try to kind of talk through that. And, and I wondered how they got that past Gene. Maybe he just wasn't paying that much attention to this, that they are trying to take this a little more seriously. But I actually find that opening scene with Deanna and Janet Brooks to be incredibly emotionally manipulative. I know that it's a short amount of time. And we were trying to get the information out in the in the prologue very quickly there. But, you know, Deanna's basically saying, hey, you're not dealing with the loss. Here, I'm going to force you to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, here's this memento that I know will mess you up emotionally instead of letting Janet come to this on her own terms. No, see, I think, I think you're misremembering that. I mean, first of all, I think it, yeah. it, well, it's Deanna's job to make Janet deal with it because they're on a ship of a thousand people. And while a thousand sure. people is a lot of people, if Janet pulls a nutty, there's a lot of bad stuff that could go down, right? <laughs> right. Additionally, I mean, just for Janet's own mental well-being, Troy has mm. to deal with that. But it's not showing her the memento that breaks Janet. What breaks Janet is making her actually deal with it. And, well, Jan- and Janet is Janet is like this close to the breaking point anyway, to, uh, to the point yeah. that it's actually not Troy that brings it up. Janet's like, yeah, so it's uh, Troy says uh, tomorrow would have been your husband's 37th birthday, 37th mm-hmm. or 36th, I can't remember, 38th maybe. Heck, maybe. yeah, th- is yeah. it 38? Yeah, I think it's could 38. be 34. <laughs> <laughs> so do I hear 39? Okay, uh, so you know, she and and then she's like, yeah, you know, I had a dream about him last night, and and I I, I thought that we were finally done with all this nonsense. So yep, she's she not woke up, she was fine. She says she's not dealing with it at all. No, no, it's yeah. the next time that she woke up and she was fine. This time she's just zero dealing with it at all. Right. And and once once Deanna makes her realize that, then it turns out Deanna has actually saved a memento, which actually ended up being a better thing for Janet because Janet told him to just get rid of all of her stuff. Deanna actually mm-hmm. had the foresight to say, yeah, one day she's going to want this thing that belonged to him, whatever. And what was Deanna doing going through their stuff? She wasn't going through their stuff, but she is all in right. charge of their mental well-being. I, uh... I know, but it, I, just something about it struck me as very invasive. Okay, all right, you know? well, all right. But but then she is an empath, and she right. knows. Yeah. yeah. Well, and again, five months, she's not dealt with it at all. Yeah. Maybe she would have thrown it away after six. Maybe she would have been like, oh, I, gotta get rid of it. I don't even remember why I have this. <laughs> right, right, right. Deanna has that line that she says to Beverly, it's just hope, Beverly, not false hope. I mm-hmm. thought that was an interesting idea that, mm-hmm. you know, really matter of semantics. Uh, what what would be the difference? So an interesting idea to float out there in her case. Are you really asking what the difference would be? No, 
No, no, not okay. at all. <laughs> say, you know, I'm, rhetorically, the, 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 the moment is sort of meant as a rhetorical thing for, uh, for Deanna. So I thought, it was, I thought it was all right. I thought it was an interesting idea to float out there. Yeah, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I thought it was interesting that there were lots of wardrobe changes for Deanna in this episode. There sure were. There were. Yeah. There were many. Well, three that I can think of, maybe four. There was mm-hmm. um, there was the the sort of counselor outfit. Then uh, there was the gray one, the gray sort mm-hmm. of unitard. There was the sort of um, burgundy sort of unitard, and then there was the blue dress at the end. Yeah, and I yeah. can't remember if there was another one or not. But it, it's kind of interesting. I mean, she's going through all these changes, um, you know, psychologically, and uh, going through a lot of changes physically as well. Yeah, and, and oddly among them, not one Starfleet uniform in the bunch. That's true. That's true. Well, yeah. it's not the future yet, John. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and at least we didn't have that weird purple, <laughs> flowy, dressy thing that she had on uh, back in uh, like the was t- it Manhunt. I the think? tutu. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad we didn't have that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are other psychologists on board. Apparently, you know, none of them. Betazoid, none of them empathic, uh, but I just wondered if there are so many on board, where are they? Do they just get assigned to the below decks crew? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so like, your potato feeling has, yeah, has, has right. fallen off lately. Uh, everything okay? <laughs> That's what they do. Yeah, yeah. But they it was don't actually, go much further than that because they're not empathic. It was actually interesting to hear uh, Picard say, look, almost nobody's got a, like an empathic counselor. So mm-hmm. I've been really lucky here. Mm-hmm. It, it was interesting to hear that that's a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you would think they'd just be hiring Betazoids all over the place. Betazoids would know? be making good whatever passes for money in the 24th century. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> uh, let's talk about that scene of Deanna blowing up at Beverly in Sick Bay. Um, I, I thought for an empath, she's not understanding sympathy very well. I mean,. Uh, I felt like Dr. Crusher was sort of doing what she needed to do, and she was leveling with Deanna, but she was also being sympathetic, even if she can't be empathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and Deanna's just not taking it. <laughs> She's just not handling that very well at all. And I thought, you know, your whole career is based on empathy, and I would assume a dose of sympathy about the people that you treat as your patients. Um, so you would think that she'd be able to uh, maybe transition into that role with uh, with Beverly a little bit, but no, but no, that was uh, that was an uncomfortable moment for all involved. Um, and there was something that I looked up because Deanna has this conversation with Picard, and she talks about the uh, the idea of other senses improving after the loss of one sense. And she says in this episode that uh, that it's it's a crock. Yeah, yeah. She (laughs) she says that it's not really a a, you know known or proven scientific thing. And I thought that that's very interesting. I want to do a little a little research on that and see what the the current scientific uh, consensus is on that. And and it is interesting. There is this idea of cross modal neuroplasticity, which simply means that one area of the brain will sort of rewire itself to take on work if it's not being used for the thing that area was designed to do. Hmm. But it does not mean that people get superpowers. So the idea is that like if uh, if you are blind and there is an area of your brain that has evolved to, um, to be a, a visual center, mm-hmm. right? Because that visual center isn't being used for vision, those neurons will sort of wire themselves to do other things. 
to uh, maybe to be part of uh, another sense, like hearing or taste or whatever. But it doesn't mean that suddenly that sense becomes better. You don't get to be daredevil. Um, no, 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 you don't. Yeah. Um, and then there is also the idea of suppressed input, that if you if you take test subjects and you hide one of their senses, either, you, you know, uh, blind them temporarily or whatever, then they, because that sense is suppressed, they will pay attention to other senses more. But again, it doesn't mean that it suddenly becomes better. Right. Um, and that may also play into what we will talk about a little later. Uh, Deanna has her discussion about intuition, and I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to put down because intuition, again, scientifically, we're talking about learned patterns, even if you're just sort of subconsciously learning those patterns and putting those to use. Hmm. But anyway, so this show, as of the recording of our podcast, because this episode was recorded, uh, was shot, uh, uh, you know, long time ago um i thought it would be interesting to see what the current scientific consensus is and it's still that (laughs) it's still that there really is no uh proof that there is any heightened uh development but people do learn and they do adapt before before you move mm on um one of my favorite science fiction novels actually deals with uh the idea of of part of the brain picking up where another part of the brain no longer can Mm-hmm. Um, I really don't want to give anything away, except to say that it's not for the kids listening. Okay. Um, but a scanner darkly by uh, Philip K. Dick, you know, mm-hmm. who was dealing with who was yeah, dealing with yeah, a tremendous yeah. amount of stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the idea of hey, well, part of the brain's gone, another part of the brain takes over. <laughs> My God, this sounds like a story I could write. Says Philip K. Dick. <laughs> um, it's it really just an absolutely fascinating, uh, fascinating read, though. I think oh, again, probably not for the kids. Fair enough. And it Fair involves uh, quite a bit of mind bleepery, but uh, <laughs> but highly recommended uh, if anybody is uh, if anybody's interested in you know the brain playing tricks on the brain. Nice, nice. Picard has this line: uh, "There was a teacher of mine at the academy confined to a wheelchair, and then he gets cut off." And and I hate that he got cut off because I was expecting him to follow up with, "And his name was Christopher Pike." Ah, I see. I was going to say, "And his name was Charles Xavier." Oh, man. Yeah, so he's speaking of mind bleepery. Got yeah. the whole time travel thing going on there. Although I did think that he said that uh, it was a she. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> so that might kill, oh, well, it might yeah. kill both of those, unless there's some sort yeah. of, you know, uh, gender stuff that we don't know about Pike or uh, Charles Xavier. Deanna is so condescending to Guinan. Mm-hmm. Guinan. Yeah, well, it's let's great- be fair. Deanna is condescending to everybody in this everybody. episode. I mean, you're okay, going to say, right, "Wow, she's really mean to Beverly." Wow, she's really mean to Guinan. Well, no, she's really mean. I mean, she's a she's a yeah, yeah. she's a scorpion in this episode. I mean, she's got she's she got is. one she's got one mode, and it is attack. But, but come on, everybody likes the bartender. Mm-hmm. Come on, yeah, you know, everybody likes Guinan, yeah. and, and this is a great use for Guinan mm-hmm. in this episode. Have her there as the counselor for the counselor. Guinan would make a great counselor. Mm-hmm. She does it anyway, and even before Deanna lost her powers, surely she could walk into Ten Ford and sense that people are relaxed and and probably being personal in in their conversations with Guinan. This mm-hmm. makes absolute sense. Now, of course, Guinan is playing it. She's playing the the. The, the moment, of course, yeah, uh, doing her counseling thing and trying to pass it right by Deanna. But man, awfully condescending. I gotta say, I started to argue with you about this actually, but I do think you're right. I mean, Troy. I mean, Troy is correct. Generally mm-hmm. speaking, people come to Guinan to tell what they want to tell, right? 
And Troy yeah. says, you know, it's her job to sort of pray it out of people. But Troy was not interested in telling Guinan, and Guinan was still able to pray it out. She did it. That <laughs> yeah, did it, it, it's, yeah. it's an effective thing. That said, though, I mean, anybody who says, you know, I don't know, John, you, you do video editing, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I could do that. Mm. Now, did any part of you just go? <laughs> <laughs> Only on the inside. No, well, exactly. Not, exactly. Not really? really? Because I couldn't do it. No, but, but you edit audio. So I, <laughs> well, I do edit audio. Yeah. Nobody else can do that, by the way. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, I mean, I, I sort of got, I got why Troy was angry at, at, at that whole idea, but, you know, also, yeah, yeah, Guinan actually would be a decent counselor. Now, in this episode, we don't get the slap on the back necessarily in the freeze frame on the laugh, but, mm-hmm. but man, we all do just get to get to laugh about what happened now that it's <laughs> over and Deanna's back to normal. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay, you're fine. If we hadn't had those, like, that minute and a half in 10 forward at the end, I really thought yeah, the yeah. next episode should just be her going around the ship to everybody, <laughs> except for Janet Brooks. She's right. the, she, Janet Brooks is the only one who was well-treated the whole time, and Data. Yeah. Um, but she's used to not getting anything out of data. So their, their relationship is actually exactly the same as it was a moment ago. Right. Um, but yeah, I really thought really the whole next episode should just be in like, you know, baking cookies for people or taking them to the holodeck or, you know, just <laughs> writing cards or whatever, anything to make anybody feel better because boy, did I make everybody feel bad last week. Well, you have a minute and a half of that, but then, uh, or the minute and a half in 10 forward, but then you have another minute and a half, just some beauty shots in the enterprise flying by. They're just like, <laughs> man, we gotta, we gotta run out the clock on this. Yeah. Um, not, not oh. since TMP have we had as good a look at the enterprise. No, no. They're like, oh wait, Michael Pillar is not available to write a, uh, a, a heartwarming and, <laughs> and important scene full of dialogue that reveals something about character. No. Okay. We'll just put in the enterprise for a minute and a half, then roll the credits. At the start of the episode, the Enterprise tried to jump to Warp 6, and could not move. So, why did Jordy think a jump to Warp 6, would work the second time? So, Ken, psychology of Deanna dealing with a loss, uh, a physical loss for her, the empathic abilities. Um, Some great scenes in this. Great scene between her and Picard because, man, if we can attack Deanna for being, well, maybe overreacting a bit to the people around her, Picard's really being patronizing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know that he's trying to help, but he he is being a bit patronizing, and and that's what we have here as as a theme is the the loss. You know, Deanna losing one of her abilities, um, but to make that so much more acute. She's the only person around who has that ability. And I thought, uh, well, I can see why this is an idea that would have gotten kicked around since season one. I mean, th- this would be a really a, a personal kind of hell. Mm-hmm. Um, not being able to connect with anybody, not being able to even explain this. Um, would have hated to have seen Waxana come into this episode. But <laughs> maybe a chat with another Betazoid would have been... A helpful thing to have here. See, I was actually thinking it would be good to have Loxana come into this episode because, first of all, we would see some growth from that character. Yeah. But then also she would have had, you know, somebody uh, to talk to. There's a weird yeah. sort of nonchalance about this, though. Like, you're saying, I don't know, you're saying she's lashing out at everybody. I don't know what I would do if I lost my eyesight. I don't mm-hmm. imagine, though, that I'd be like, well, I'll be fine. 
I mean, yeah, eventually right, I think right. I would be. And it's amazing how like how quickly everybody wants her to be like, no, 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 you're going to be okay. And and it, maybe it speaks to the 24th century or maybe it just speaks to what a bad bedside manner it turns out Beverly has. But she's like, yeah, I know you lost your empathic ability, but it's really no worse than, you know, somebody going blind. Well, hey, doc, <laughs> somebody yeah, going blind right. might be a bad thing. Now, of course, you know, you can put a visor on somebody who's going blind and you can't just, you know, you can't give subtitles to a betazoid. Yeah. Right. So I don't I mean, right, it was right, right. it was a little um, it was a little callous, it seemed to me, yeah. actually. I wanted to save this little bit of trivia for this part, that uh, they were actually talking about making Deanna's loss permanent. Oh, they should have. Yeah. That would have been awesome. Right? That would have been yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And we can talk about why it would have been later. But, well, or, or we or, can go ahead think... and mention it right this second. I mean, you know <laughs> okay, she's going to get her abilities back by the end. If we had gotten to the end of this episode and she had not gotten her abilities back, man, yeah. I would have, Wow. You know, because, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that we've talked about, like like last week, Captain Picard's going to die. Well, no, he's not, because, you know, the right. show's almost over. Deanna Troy loses her powers. Well, yeah, for a while. But, you know, she's going to yeah. get him back, because nothing is going to change from one week to the next. We might remember that it happened, but, sure. but it's not going to be any different. Or, you know, it would be interesting. I mean, it, it, again, it, it's 25 years of hindsight with when this, picked, uh, when this sure. episode was filmed. Yeah. But the way TV is made now, sure, let her lose her ability for the rest of the season. Yeah. You know, or, and, and let us see a gradual regrowth. You know, let us see a gradual dealing with that. And then maybe she got some of it back. Maybe all of it. Maybe yeah. not all of it. It's, it's really hard to fault Next Gen for that, though, because <laughs> Next Gen is the show that remembers that Captain Picard was captured by the Borg. Yeah. I mean, how many times oh, yeah, was yeah, Kirk yeah, yeah. like, oh, Kirk, somebody made a robot you. Oh, somebody made another double of you. Hey, remember that wife you had? <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. Star Trek forgets. Star Trek suffers from amnesia up until next gen. So, I mean, you know, the fact they didn't draw this out longer, yes, for the, yeah. for the storytelling part of it, that would be great. Um, but, you know, I guess we have to cut them some slack. They, I mean, oh, they are going to remember a number of things. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, Riker remembered that he had a dad and that his relationship with his dad wasn't so great. Yeah. Um, right. You know, it's, they're usually pretty good about that. So as neat as it would have been to see Troy actually deal with this longer than 48 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're, they're pretty good at remembering something happened week before last. Yeah. Agreed. Um, Dana has a line. She says, uh, you know what the worst part of this is, the way other people change. I thought that was really provocative mm. um, because I would imagine there is many right or wrong ways to react to someone who is experiencing a loss or a trauma as there are people in the world. Um, I, I think, you know, you and I are, uh, we, we come back to it and we're going to come back to it again about really making an assessment of Deanna's reaction. And, and unfortunately we kind of also chalk that up to, Marina, the actress, and how she was directed in each of these scenes, because you you have this really over-the-top reaction a a lot of the time, right? Um, But there's really no right or wrong way that you can say this is how somebody should or would react to this. And conversely, you also have everybody else around that person trying desperately to figure out how to react to her reaction. I thought of... um, long, long time ago when I lived in New York, uh, when I was a student there, I remember meeting somebody who was disabled. Uh, so he was an older uh, adult male and he, he was on these uh, crutches. He barely had the use of his legs at all. And he was an actor. Mm-hmm. And um, he had kind of a, an over-the-top personality. 
And I remember him talking about how difficult it was as an actor. And the more we talked, because uh, he, he was sort of indicating like, well, here I am a guy on crutches and, you know, th- this is a part of me and this is how I operate in the world. Um, and then I just want to go on an audition for things. But he was he was offended at the idea that directors or producers or writers would try to cast him and put him in just like, like anybody else, like doing this sort of blind casting and put him in just like anybody else. And what he said to me is like, look, I am not just like anybody else. And the reality is I have to deal with this every single day. So my life is very different than just anybody else. And I want that to be addressed in how I do roles and how I do my job and how I do all this other stuff. So I, here was somebody who uh, – that was a conversation that took me by surprise mm-hmm. because I kind of expected him to say like, yeah, I should just be able to walk into an audition room, do the scene, and if I'm good in the scene, then I get the job. But he was like, no, 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 no. The, the, this, is, this is what makes me different and I expect that to be addressed. You know, it was, uh, are they supposed was, to rewrite Tennessee Williams? I'm sorry, I'm a little bit. I mean, to hear that from an mm-hmm. actor, I'm a tiny bit confused, honestly. I mean, in, yeah. in life, I actually I wonder about that a bit more. Sure, but I mean, to hear that from an actor is kind of odd because you know, if you're up for a part in, well, name a play. Yeah. If you're up yeah, in a right, part, right. if you're up in a part in No Exit, I mean, we're going to write an extra scene where it's like, oh, but it's especially difficult to be, you know, here with you yeah. because this. I'm 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 confused by that yeah. as. I mean, if your job is to uh, is to deliver and interpret someone else's words, then I'm not mm-hmm. sure how you do that. As far as in life in general, though, yeah, I totally – it seems to me that acting is the one place where you couldn't expect that because you have to do what somebody else says in a way. You bring your own interpretation, yeah. but the words are not yours. The situation is not yours. True. Yeah, you don't have control over that. Yeah, we, yeah it's kind of – but it's an interesting. it's an interesting idea that you bring up. Yeah, yeah. I really like that scene with Deanna and Riker in her quarters when she is describing to him uh, what it's like for her and describing him as a holodeck simulation. It's the, the best description that we get of how her abilities work and what this loss is actually like. Mm-hmm. That that's the difficult thing in this episode is trying to get the people around her and then us the the audience by proxy to understand exactly how profound this loss is. Um, the rest of that scene is kind of questionable, though. <laughs> I mean, it, is he just taking the tough love approach uh, because this is the way that they have always talked to each other? It, it's really it's sort of all over the map. Um. There are great moments in there, but but man, he's he's kind of harsh to her, and I kept wondering what is he after by being that harsh. Well, I mean, the, here's the thing: he's telling her the whole, you know, the aristocratic thing. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's really exactly kind of a crappy meant. thing yeah. to say. I wonder, though. I mean, it has to be true, but she also has to have known it. In a way, sure, well, right? yeah, because she would have been able to read the people around her. Exactly, yeah, she'd be able to read, and, and you know, he is her Mzadi, and vice versa. So she would know him better than anyone else, theoretically. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I mean, what I loved about that scene is so yeah, she's being terrible to him earlier mm-hmm. in the episode. He comes in and and he just doesn't say anything, and and both in in just being there for her and with her, and also in saying that he will be back. What he's telling her is that she is still who she's always been to him. And mm-hmm. I really loved that. I think it's a, I think that's a wonderful thing for her to see and not hear. I mean, he doesn't say it, 
I mean, she's she's having to understand it in the same way that she would have understood it if she still had her empathic ability. Um, yeah, the I mean, the aristocratic thing is kind of crappy, and they do address it at the end where she's like, oh, next time you do that, mister, you know. <laughs> oh. okay, okay, but I'm thinking it again still, yeah. and, and you know yeah. that now, so to take that into account as we move forward. What was it with him going in for the kiss at the end? Are we do, are we doing that now? Hey, well, look, it's Riker. He got he's stopped. Just, he's going to do that whenever. I, well, yeah. I guess, but I mean, with her, I mean, yeah, I do that with Lol, <laughs> <laughs> or you know, any other woman you've never met before, Riker. But man, I mean, like <laughs> they've got this history, and he's like, "Oh, I'm glad it's you." Oh, it's not that you. Okay, my bad. Sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep my lips to myself. Yeah, for now. Yeah. Right. There. Gosh, I, I, there are a lot of character moments like that. I mean, uh, certainly Riker with going in for the kiss, a little odd. But, I, you know, I, I mentioned it before that I, I wondered what we make of Deanna's responses to her loss. Because it, it, it's, it's numerous things. She has conversations with different people, with, with Guinan and with Riker and with Beverly and with Picard. Um, there's the acting. There's the writing. The, the choices made by the actor to to interpret the writing and then what she is given by the director. Um, I know that there has been a, a feminist argument about this show, about her being kind of this over-the-top, you know, hysterical archetype um, that that doesn't play too well. Um, not to mention just critiques of of the acting. You know, we, we did get some feedback before we recorded this episode, people uh, asking about that and sort of wanting to pointed out. And I guess I kind of go back to my statement that I made a few minutes ago, which is that I kind of look at this and I figure, well, people are allowed to react however they want. Mm-hmm. You know, Unless I'm actually going through that, then people will react how they will react, and one person will react differently than another. This is a compressed show. Like you said, it's 48 minutes, and she's got to lose her ability, deal with it, and get it back, and everything's okay by the end of that 48 minutes. Mm-hmm. But I thought what was maybe interesting is seeing her go through multiple stages. And I thought about the way we talked about the Corbomite maneuver, that you had mentioned the uh, the five stages of grief, mm-hmm. um, which, interestingly enough, we discovered that book was not actually published until after the Corbomite maneuver came out. Yeah, about a year later. So it, yeah, yeah. So it just happened to play out like that. And then, and even then, scientifically, psychologically, the, there is some argument to be made that it, it's not always like that. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, but I did think it was interesting to at least allow Deanna multiple ways of reacting. Um, so she's going to have one kind of conversation with Riker, and 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 I liked seeing some tenderness there. Um, with you know Riker actually, like you said, being there, being there and caring, uh, as opposed to well, you know, fixing. Her very, yeah, yeah, as opposed to fixing, and then and it's something very different from her condescending conversation with Guinan. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got to say there's um and I don't want to say whether I like the episode or not yet. Mm-hmm. Um sure. there is one thing I love about uh, the way this episode is constructed though. Okay. I love the layers of story. Um mm-hmm. we've basically it seems to me got the same story being told three different ways, three different times. Mm-hmm. Uh, Janet Brooks is flying by instinct. Uh, Deanna Troy is flying by instinct, and the two D beings are flying by instinct. And mm-hmm. and the two D beings are two D, and I love yeah. that because that is exactly what Deanna's complaint is about everybody now. They yeah. have no depth. They are just 
They are just representations that she can see, which is what these things are outside. Um, they don't even, I mean, at first they don't even know if they're real. And then finally mm-hmm. they're like, okay, if I look at them a certain way, they are, but they're, they are nothing like what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. And that is Deanna and everybody around her now. And that's a really fun way to tell the story. I mean, maybe it's a tiny bit obvious, but I just love that kind of story structure. Um, Rosencrantz and Geldenstern are dead. They tell that story in that, well, in the movie anyway. I've never seen the stage production. But in the mm-hmm. movie, Rosencrantz and Geldenstern are dead. They tell the story repeatedly. Um, they have the dumb show inside Hamlet. And then we have a puppet show, I believe, inside the dumb show inside Hamlet, inside Rosencrantz and Geldenstern are dead. <laughs> and I, I love that sort of like, I mean, just, just you know, playing with the idea of the story uh, instead of just, you know, okay, well, it's this and now it's this and now it's this. It's not completely linear. And yes, the telling in this is completely linear, but it's being told on three different levels. Um, 2D, those three levels may be. Um, yeah. So I kind of like that. And, and then, you know, that, that sort of leaves you with the one topic, though. I mean, with the, with the three stories being told the same way, the one topic seems to be whether overcoming instinct is something that one should do. And then if it is something that one should do, how do you go about doing it? Everybody's convinced that the 2D things are headed towards their doom, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They're not overly worried about them because they're primarily worried about themselves. But even at that, there is concern for the things. And once Deanna realizes that the things are flying on instinct and that that's fine, then they're able to actually deal with it. I mean, once once she realizes, oh, there is zero depth here, uh, fine. Now I know how to handle that. Right. <laughs> it, it once is one right. thing. I'm going to give it that one thing twice. It's not going to know what to do for a moment, and then we're going to be able to get out. Um, instinctually, Janet Brooks wants to avoid her pain. Wrong course of action. Now, maybe Deanna could have found you know a different way to deal with it or a more gentle way to deal with it. Or, you know, a better way to have Janet deal with it. But once they both realize that that's what she's doing, she's able to overcome it. And then, of course, Deanna is just given opportunity after opportunity to realize that that's what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. so while it may seem like parts of the story go nowhere, every part of this story is going the exact same place. And actually, yeah. I, I love that structure. And that actually, the first time I saw it, I was like, Duh. But then I, once, I, once I sort of glimpsed what, it, what I felt like was that structure, um, I, I, I really just sort of groove on that telling. Now, you know, whether or not the episode holds up, we can get to, but, but just, yeah. just, just the way it was told uh, was, was a lot of fun. Um, that, that's interesting. You know, kind of the, the last note that I had for myself was just sort of thinking about how they use instinct uh, within this. Um, Deanna and Data use logic to deduce something about instinct. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a nice little scene. I mean, it was a little, maybe a little too on the nose, the, the light bulb going off over the head, like, oh, it's instinct, you know. Um, or if we call it intuition, because that that's uh, another word that gets kicked around about Deanna. Um, that, you know, maybe there's something in this that's saying that intuition isn't necessarily a thing, a thing that is separate, a thing that, that just sort of happens magically. But it is something that is learned. You know, like I was talking about before, the the scientific idea of um, senses that are getting heightened or developed when one sense is gone. Well, no, it's not exactly that. It's not superpowers. But there is a retraining. There is a relearning that then allows that person to 
see patterns, to, to retrain themselves to see patterns that they hadn't paid attention to before. And that is sort of what we, what we mean when we say things like intuition and instinct, that it, it's, it's using that recognition of those patterns to be able to come to a conclusion. And as Beverly says, well, sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong, but that's okay. With Deanna back in touch with all of the feels, it is time now to see what she and we can take from the loss. So there were two songs that kept uh, sticking in my head, by the way, uh, throughout this. Um, uh, Paying the Cost to Be the Boss. Do you, do you know that song? Do you know what I'm talking no, about? Okay, well, no, I don't no. I don't either, unfortunately, but I'll look it okay. up and I'll find out. But because it has the loss, I thought about the boss, and so I guess okay. I could have actually gone then with anything by Bruce Springsteen, but I didn't. Yep. Uh, and the other one, of course, is Cosmic Thing by, <laughs> by the B-52s, because there's Cosmic String nice. all the way through it. And I kept trying to figure out how to work in a lyric, mm-hmm. and then decided, since they never actually say the words Cosmic Thing mm-hmm. in the song Cosmic Thing, it it just didn't work, but... Uh, now you know the, the songs have been playing in my head all week, and uh, you're welcome, because now they'll be in yours. Uh, the Loss, John. Uh, time to do that thing where we talk about messages, morals, and meanings, and whether the episode stands up. Uh, let's start with that part. Uh, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Okay. So, um, boy, I, it, it's one of those episodes that got better to me the more I watched it. Mm-hmm. But the, the things that stuck out, um, I felt like the B-plot was just horrendous i I was bored with it as soon as we came back from the opening credits because to (laughs) me it it felt like it felt like going through the motions uh we stuck so we've got a science way to not be stuck okay Hmm. um now the parallels and the very blatant parallels between janet's story and deanna's story are okay um maybe they're a little too on the nose deanna actually tells picard how on the nose it is she comes into his office, into the ready room, and says, you know, I've been working with that other person. It occurs to me it's just like what's happening to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, so that that maybe hurt the fact that you had the parallel stories going on there. Um, so I, I guess I'm like Deanna when it comes to this episode. First, I, I was in shock at how much I disliked it. Uh, then I was angry. Uh, then I was defensive. And then I just couldn't be bothered anymore. Um, and then I was thinking, thank goodness it's over. But I've kind of resigned myself to a sort of acceptance. <laughs> <laughs> and, and at least I get to move on now at the end. Um, it doesn't help that Deanna's there, like, at least, you know, earlier this season when you were trying to watch other things. And she's like, no, 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 no face the loss. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. I, I, I exactly. would face the loss, but first I want to face the best of both. No, no, face no, the loss. No, 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 it's just the loss. <laughs> um, uh, there's an interesting character exploration to be done here. And under different circumstances that we talked about, I feel like it could have been done much better. So I'm not going to say that this episode holds up. This mm-hmm. is not an episode that I will watch again. Okay. But, but. 
my appreciation of the episode actually improved greatly the more times I watched it. Um, especially when I figured out what the episode actually was and that it wasn't Remember Me and it wasn't these other episodes <laughs> that I was supposed to have been watching. Um, right. So, um, Boy, season so four is give... really Troy heavy, huh? Yeah, it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm not going to give it a pass. Like I said, I have really no desire to watch this again. But hmm. the, the ideas in it, I thought, were still pretty interesting. And there were things about it that I still liked. Um, so that that's where I am with it. How about you? Um, because of the multi-layered storytelling, mm-hmm. I love it. I, lo- wow. I mean, there's wow. a there's a and which doesn't mean that I'm in a hurry to watch it again, which I know mm-hmm. sounds kind of crazy. But I mean, I, I I'm trying to think of a good way to put it. There are some directors who will just sit the camera down and have actors act in front of the camera. And there are other sure. directors who, who will pick up the camera and move it around. And I don't mean like sort of the handheld uh, cam that uh, Woody Allen was so fond of in the late 90s or the mid to late oh, 90s. Right. Yeah, I'm yeah. not talking Cloverfield necessarily. More like Scorsese will, you know, move the camera around a scene or, or take a long, you know, pull into a, a shot. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of storytellers who just say, here's what happened this minute, here's what happened the next minute, here's what happened the next minute. I like the fact that we've got the same story being told three different ways in this episode. And they don't all end the same way, necessarily. They don't all have the same conclusion. They don't even all have the same... Um, they don't even all need to take the same steps. Break out of instinct? Well, no, not for the little fish people, or whatever they are, the 2D mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, how the others do it uh, is kind of interesting. So for that, I found it, I thought it was really... I had a real appreciation for that, even if it didn't work, which uh, to me it did. Even if it didn't work, though, I would have appreciation for the for the fact that they that they tried to tell a, a, a story in a in a different sort of interesting way. Mm. Um, first time I saw it, I thought that uh, I, I thought that uh, Deanna was over Deanna. I'm sorry, I thought that Marina was <laughs> overacting a bit. And and the second time I saw it, I was like, no, I don't think so. The the one thing that I could fault her acting on. And this actually, and she she suffered from a tiny bit of Rikeritis. She didn't know how to walk. Mm. I think in one of our messages back and forth to mm. each other, I mm-hmm. called her Lady Stomps a lot because that's what <laughs> she did. She did. It's like yeah. arms straight down, you marching, marching, marching. Mm. But I mean, when she lost it on Beverly, I believed yeah. it. When she lost it, I mean, she's crying. I mean, she's actually the actress is actually crying when she's breaking down to to Will. Right. Um, She's got a, a a range of emotions here, and maybe they are over the top. But I don't see it as a, I don't see it as a female thing. I see it as a. I don't know what I would do if I lost my hearing. That's what I do, you know. What I yeah. everything I do is audio. If I lost my hearing, I don't imagine I'd be like, oh well, still got my eyes. <laughs> I think I'd probably be more yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I might even be yelling at everyone because I wouldn't know how loud I was. <clears throat> <laughs> So, I mean, to me, yes, I thought this episode actually, it, it, it was better the second time I watched it. And mm-hmm. no, it's not one that's, that I'm going to be like, ah, oh, I feel like a good episode of Star Trek. I'm going to watch this. But I totally think this episode holds up. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing is, I mean, the one failing is we are now in this place where we know, let's see, how long has it been? 45 minutes? Okay, yeah, well, she's going to get her ability back. That, yeah. That's the one drag. There's, there's really no danger that, that well, there's no danger. The Enterprise yeah. is not going to be destroyed. She is not going to walk away without her abilities. Um, that's the one drag, but I mean, that's just the, that's the nature of this beast. You, yeah. you kind of have to try to forget that for a little while because, yeah, in the end, everything's going to be fine. Sure, 
Sure. No, and, and I think you made a really, really good point again about uh, Deanna, the character, and Marina, the actor, because I, I think it's too easy to just say, oh, well, she's over the top, so therefore the episode doesn't work. I, I, I don't think, to me, the, that is not the reason that I would not give this episode a pass. And I think there are a lot of elements in there that maybe Marina, the actor, is not responsible for exactly how the character comes across. You also have the writers, you also have the director, you also have the choices that are made in editing. Um, So all those factors kind of lead up to that. But again, I, I like the idea that well, I'm just I'm watching somebody else and how they react to this very profound loss, this this huge change in and not only ability but identity mm-hmm. for her. Um, so I, I'm not going to judge that. Maybe that comes with some foot stomping and crying and condescension and all these other aspects that are are maybe not so palatable. Um, so yeah, good good point made there. Uh, how about we talk about messages? Um, there's more to you than what you think, maybe, and mm-hmm. more to each situation than is obvious. And mm-hmm. they they all get caught in thinking, well, these these little two D fish people are headed to their doom, and we should try to warn them somehow, or we should try to stop it from happening. And you know, it's it's only at the very end that Deanna's like, you know, what if this isn't bad? Now it's weird because she says like a moth to the flame. Well. That actually doesn't always end up working out well for the moth. <laughs> no, no. Usually, I would say it doesn't end up working out well for the moth. <laughs> right. But, I mean, the fact that she was at least able to, to free her mind of the idea that, oh, these poor things. Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, they're actually, they're actually, uh, they're actually doing exactly what they want to do. So I like the um, – yeah, I, I sort of like those as, as possible messages. Um, just actually straight-up messages, not just the character study part. I mean, the character study part is also uh, somewhat interesting. But I, I like those as uh, as potential messages. What about you? Yeah. Um, uh, well, it, it's funny. I mean, Deanna. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Beverly actually has a line about doctors not being the best patients. You yeah. Know? I mean, that, it, so clearly, uh, it, it's not just an old saw that, that we get to throw around. But there's something about that about the person who is an expert who is so focused on one side of the equation who sort of needs to take a step back put themselves in somebody else's shoes in order to to have some distance and look at their own problem so there's an interesting idea going on there that it is the counselor who loses her ability to counsel relying on that incredibly important tool that she has um in her sort of emotional arsenal um and i wondered though if there was a lesson about not giving up because I come back to this thing that I I feel like Deanna is perfectly justified in her worry, in her anger, in, in her loss and in her desire to leave, even if it would just be for a temporary period. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the fact that Picard would say like, Oh, well, you're, you're really good at your job and um, boy, I really, you know, I think you should just stay and, and ride this out. Well, not necessarily, you know, she now, obviously, from a production point of view, we all want the character around. We want her back, you know, all of this stuff that fits neatly into a 48 minute show. But if we do treat the the, the emotion here as realistic and we treat the uh, the the journey here as something that at least metaphorically we can identify with, well, Maybe it is okay for Deanna to decide what's best for Deanna 
Mm. which is to say, I'm uncomfortable with this now, and I need to go do something else and find myself and get back on my feet, and maybe she'd be better for it. That's not the story we're telling, though. I mean, I know. again, if we're I running, absolutely know. Yeah. No, but I mean, if we're running the parallel, I mean, all she's doing is running away, which is all that Janet Brooks has been doing as well. Not physically yeah. running away, not trying to get off the ship, but, you know, hiding from, you know, the thing that pains her. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you can't really... I mean, I get what you're saying. In a different telling of the story, you may actually have that. She may go on a walkabout. Mm-hmm. You know, but right now, I mean, what the whole thing is about is is instinct and, and whether one should either go ahead and follow it or try to overcome it. Mm-hmm. And I'm totally, totally fine with that and totally okay with that. Mm-hmm. I wondered if those... I felt like there are kind of competing messages here, or not necessarily messages, but competing ideas here that are both valid, hmm. you know, that, that are both okay. Like you said, this has to wrap up in one way. Yeah. You know, because they are telling this specific story. But I, I think there's legitimacy to to the other idea kind of that is the undercurrent of, of what's happening here. Um, it's like I said, it, it, it is interesting to watch all these other people react and try to make try to make Deanna react the way that they think Deanna should react. Mm-hmm. And it really is only Riker who just shows up and says, I'm here, and I'm going to check on you, and I'm here. And that's it. Which gave a tremendous so. amount of depth to their relationship, honestly. Yep. And then yep. he goes for the easy kiss. <laughs> well, you know, can you blame the guy? <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, 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 the comedy spinoff of this is, that's so Riker. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right, right. Maybe we should talk to somebody about trying to get that produced. Hey, uh, we do want to let people know that Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, the executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more about uh, all the stuff that Roddenberry is doing, both the entertainment, the, the, uh, the foundation, uh, all kinds of things at roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next weekend, it's Data's Day. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. That cosmic string sure had the Enterprise tied up in knots. Thank you, thank you. I am here every week. And transmission. <laughs>